Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. If you were paying attention, you might notice there were two major awards ceremonies this week. Taylor Swift won big at the American Music Awards, but after a short postponement because of weather, the Native American Music Awards honored a host of Native artists who've been busy putting out great jams too. We're going to hear from some of the artists and add to your playlist selections. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Native women in Arizona are getting help to launch their own businesses with expert advice. As Alex Gonzalez reports, a unique program helps bring their business ideas to life and a new cohort just got started. Project Dreamcatcher is a unique free initiative for Native American women entrepreneurs. In the intensive one-week program, they're exposed to MBA-level business classes at ASU's Thunderbird School of Global Management. Last month, 21 women graduated from the program. Sherilyn Van Winkle, a graduate and co-founder of Arizona Native Mobile Diesel Truck and Trailer Repair, says the program has been instrumental for her in a predominantly male-run field. I feel like this program just really helped me push my fears aside. I mean, I wasn't fearful before, but it was just more I was sitting back and letting the world take me over. But now I feel like I'm finally in control. Participants have access to graduate-level courses, coaching and advising sessions with business professionals, and networking activities designed to foster confidence in starting or growing a business. According to project leaders, the last cohort graduated 67 women who have started 30 businesses in Arizona. Van Winkle previously worked in the medical field and says she didn't know much about what it took to run a mechanic business, but she's taken her skills and experience and used them in new ways in her new company. She says one of the most overwhelming parts of the journey was knowing where to begin, but Dreamcatcher helps participants devise a plan. They had a professor come in and talk to us about how to understand revenues, expenses, gross profits, balance sheet, cash flow, and owner's equity. Those are large words for some of us that didn't go to business school. Van Winkle says having a support system as a new business is fundamental. She encourages the next women who enroll in Project Dreamcatcher to be open-minded, ask questions, and use the resources available to them. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, American Indian and Alaska Native-owned businesses contributed over $39 billion to the economy last year, but make up only 1% of all firms. That was Alex Gonzalez reporting. Longtime Tribal University President Lionel Bordeaux has passed away. The enrolled member of the Rosebud Sioux Tribe served as president of Cinti Gleska University for 50 years, said to be the longest-serving university president in the United States. The university is located on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. Bordeaux was well-known as a strong advocate in the tribal college movement. His career also included working for the Bureau of Indian Affairs. His experience in Washington, D.C. was instrumental in helping him pursue passage of legislation to support tribal colleges and universities. Bordeaux was passionate about culturally based Native higher education and service to the Native community. He was a founder of the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, which represents the 35 tribal colleges and universities across the country. And he was a founder of the American Indian College Fund, the World Indigenous Nations Higher Education Consortium, and the Tribal College Journal. He passed away at age 82. A 
Celebration of Life is planned for December 1st at the Tribal University. The Phoenix Suns honored the Native American Basketball Invitational, or NABI, Tuesday night during a game in Phoenix, Arizona. They celebrated a 20-year partnership between the organization and the professional basketball team. NABI hosts the largest all-Indigenous basketball tournament in North America, with more than 100 teams taking part in games each summer. NABI's event generates a local economic impact to the Phoenix area and has awarded thousands of dollars in scholarships to Native college students. The organization was involved in the Suns' new uniforms celebrating Native culture and the showcasing of Arizona's 22 tribal nations at the arena. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Program support by Penguin Random House, publisher of She Persisted, Wilma Mankiller by Tracy Sorrell, a children's book about the first woman principal chief of the Cherokee Nation. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Do you know how to help someone having a seizure? Join us for National Epilepsy Awareness Month and become Seizure First Aid Certified at epilepsy.com slash first aid or call 1-800-332-1000 today. The Epilepsy Foundation supports this show. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Take some steady, guitar-driven blues, add in horns, piano, and a rock and roll backbeat, and you have the ingredients for the rip chords. The band out of the Onondaga Nation is one of the big winners this week at the Native American Music Awards. The event was held live in Niagara Falls for the first time since the start of the pandemic and was temporarily delayed because of a record-breaking blizzard that buried much of western New York over the weekend. Some other artists who were recognized include Sten Jotty, Charles Wood III, the Buffalo Weavers, Kelly Derrickson, and Melody MacArthur. We'll get a recap of the event today on the show and maybe add to your playlist for the holidays. How does that sound? You're welcome to join us as we celebrate Native Musicians and the 20th Native American Music Awards. Just call in at 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE to share your comments on the air. We've got a full slate of guests for you today, folks. And joining us first from Salamanca, New York, is Brett Maybe. He is a producer and host of Gaino, a weekly radio show that focuses on contemporary indigenous music. He's also a member of the Seneca Nation. And if his voice sounds familiar, well, that's because he's been known to host Native America Calling from time to time. Brett, great to have you back on the show. Now it's Gaino, Sean. Thank you very much for the invitation today. Absolutely. And Brett, it sounds like you were able to brave the winter weather and made it out to the NAMIs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, quite an adventure, but you know, you, you live out here long enough, uh, you get a little used to it anyway. I guess. <laughs> well, I'm glad uh, everything went well. And uh, well, tell us, give us an update. How did it go overall, the event? Uh, you know, all things considered, I mean, between the weather um, and then being on a Monday evening, and being the first show post-pandemic, it really, I think, uh, went well, you know. 
and so many performances, so many awards. Uh, who were some specific acts or, or performances that just really stood out? Oh, everybody really did. I don't really want to, you know, say one stood out over the other. I mean, it was really just a jam-packed show. Uh, talking, uh, you know, the rip chords and with Earl Slick was phenomenal. Um, also, the hallucination came down and did some of their award-winning music as well. Um, you know, there was just so much. Uh, Kelly Montijo Fink did a nice piece with uh, a traditional hand drum, and she had the Niagara River dancers get up with them as well. Uh, Ed Coben, actually, and Cody Blackbird did a really beautiful tribute to some of the artists that we've lost over the past few years as well. It was just an all-around stacked and amazing uh, roster of talent, you know. How did Rodney Grant do as MC? Oh, man, he is so much fun. I mean, uh, you know, I got some behind-the-scenes pictures uh, while they were getting ready to award him with the Lifetime Achievement. And so watching him watch himself on the screen, wind in his hair and some of the other roles he's <laughs> uh, done over the years was uh, total fun. Uh, his sense of humor, he was right on point, kept the show going, a little bit of improv as well. It was really quite a treat to see him. Oh, wow. Well, that's really good to hear. Uh Rodney Grant, the legendary wind in his hair from Dances with Wolves. Wow. It's hard to believe it's been more than 30 years since that movie came oh. out of showing my age. But, well, Brett, do you go to the NAMIs every year? Or is this something that you just make sure to have on your calendar? Well, actually, I participate too as well. You don't see me, but uh, as I do a lot of work as a disarticulated voice, it seems pretty fitting that I'm the VOG uh, at the award show as well and have been uh, fulfilling that role. I I've been trying to think now. I think it's been about since 2016. So, yeah, grateful to see my NAMA family and I mean, all the friends and everybody that I've made throughout the years. And I, w I wouldn't miss it. I drove up through the storm to get there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I heard um, the Seneca Nation was very accommodating and they, and they made room for everybody there at the, at the hotel so people didn't have to travel. It sounds like the nation really, yeah. really went out of their way to make sure that the event was a success. Oh, always. You know, the Seneca Nation really does an amazing job uh, when it comes to hosting these kinds of big events. And, you know, really props to Christian Printup and the casino team and executives who really helped to make it possible as well, because, I mean, it was it was stressful, to say the least. Uh, flights being canceled and, and they really went above and beyond to to make sure everybody was comfortable for sure. Well, let's learn a, a little bit more uh, about how the event was um was managed and, and, and gratefully such a success like it was. Also joining us from New York now is Edward Coban. He is the music director for the Native American Music Awards. He is Mohawk. Ed, welcome to the show as well. Thank you. Glad to be here. You bet. Well, well tell us, Ed, I mean, listening to Brett describe the, the, the snowstorm there, uh, how much trouble did the weather give you folks this past weekend in, um, in order to actually pull off this event as, as successfully as you did? Well, you know, it definitely it definitely pre presented some challenges. We, um, you know, we kind of seen coming, but you know, just tried to make it go on. Anyways, you know, we seen the weather report saying that it was going to happen. But <clears throat> me being right here in Niagara Falls, you know, we tend to kind of play down the weather because we're used to it. As Brett said, you know, we're kind of used to it. He, he drove through it. It also that you know there was it was canceling people's lives and. You know, people around here were like, ah, it's just some snow, you know, but it really was more than just some snow. The ironic part is Niagara Falls itself didn't really get hit that hard, but Buffalo, Buffalo and 8 Point South, where everyone was traveling through, 
and all the airlines, you know, cancel everything. So it wreaked havoc. And the fact that we were able to pull it off was, was quite amazing. You know, it just goes to, I think Brett put it really well. It's a NAMA family. You know, it's, it's, we, it's, we're all very, we work well together. We all care about each other and we care about the artists. So, you know, that's the main ingredient to trying to pull these miracles off. And I think we, we did it this time. Well, this year there were challenges with the weather uh, coming through the pandemic. I know you had a hiatus with the award show as well. So how does it feel to, to finally hold the NAMIs in person again? Oh man, it was, it was a wonderful feeling again, because like Brett said, you miss the people, like you get to know people over the years and all the, the artists. And when, you know, there's a lot of excitement for the nominees when they come to the show and sometimes it's their first NAMI awards and, you know, to have the weather kind of almost ruin that. And then after two years of the pandemic, you know, taking that away from people. And so to have it back and to, to see the winners and see the people pull it off and, and see the you know artists get the recognition they deserve. It was great. Ed, this was the 20th Native American Music Awards. Now, going back to, to when it all started, how much has the event grown? Oh, quite a bit. And it's, you know, it's before it was an award show, it was an, a, a, you know, an association, Native American Music Association started by Ellen Bellow. And uh, it just kind of organically worked its way up into being this award show that, that traveled around the country from space to space and then found a home here in Niagara in the mid 2000s. I think I might've been 2006. That was the first one here in 2008. <laughs> it's been a long weekend. So in my brain's a little foggy, but um, yeah, it really has pro- progressed. And it's, it, I feel like it's done a lot for uh, bringing some awareness to native music outside of like the stereotypical traditional, like powwow dance music and stuff, you know, and really showed the contemporary aspect to native artistry. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that awareness to contemporary Native music, because I know on your website, there's a quote from USA Today that reads, it's time to start taking Native American music seriously. And I want to ask you, do you think Native music is drawing more mainstream appeal now? And if so, what's driving that interest? Well, you know, I think that I think that the Internet has been is given people their own way to kind of get things out as a musician myself. Um, know growing up in the 80s and as a musician you didn't have the internet and everything was based on if a record company found some interest that was your shot otherwise you were kind of you know stuck being just a local band but with the you know advent of the internet people can put their music out themselves they don't need they can skip all the middlemen so i think that's helped but also um the native american music awards itself and other and you know other organizations that popped up as a result of things that the native american music Association is done. I really do think it has raised some awareness and made people realize that it's not all singing about the buffalo. You know, it's it's contemporary about music, about contemporary issues that are within the native community and outside the native community as well. Um, but I do, yeah, I, I think it really does have to do with just the you know more ways to access the music through technology. Well, Brett, I want to ask you as well, because you very much have your finger on the pulse of contemporary Native music. Uh, anything to add to what Ed says in terms of what's driving um, the momentum now for contemporary Native music? Pretty much every point that there was, you know, the Internet. And that's something that when I conduct interviews for Gyno, you know, especially with people who have been a part of the scene for 20 plus years, you know, that seems to be a commonality with people saying, oh, yeah, definitely the Internet has, has made all the difference. But, 
you know, whether it's through Native America Calling and the music specials, or and I don't want to toot my own horn, but things with Gyno and, and just really promoting and uh, working to undo some of the myths, like I also mentioned as well. There are persisting myths in the public um, consciousness as to what Native American music is. And so we're all out here in our various forms, you know, smashing those myths apart. And I think collectively, um, you know, it's it's really helping to drive that awareness, too, that, wow, there's a lot of great talent out there. And we also, I think, get to see, you know, Canada, for all of their problems up there, one area that they do do well is in the support of Indigenous arts. So I, I think we also have to take a moment to mention the work that's going on up there with the Indigenous artists as well, because, you know, we're all just, I think, raising the bar together. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And uh, I, I know there were a lot of uh, Canadian entries in, in the awards uh, this past week, and uh, we have one of those Canadian artists who's going to be on our show here today, and I'll introduce him here shortly. But before we do that, we are going to have to take a short break. And uh, listeners, if you want to join this conversation, if you'd like to talk a little bit about contemporary Native music, tell us what kind of music you like, what kind of performers you're into. Uh, if you get out to award shows or concerts, please give us a call. We'd love to get your take on the air today. That number to call, 1-800-996-2848. 1-800-996-2848. Stay with us. We'll be right back. We've got more guests, more music on the other side. Buffy St. Marie remains an artistic force, composing and performing, and she also has a documentary portrait out from American Masters on PBS. The Plains Cree singer, songwriter, and artist reflects on her many achievements and creative successes. That's on the next Native America Calling. Waka, enroll in healthcare coverage through CMS Today and keep your health protected all year long. Contact your local Indian healthcare provider for more information. Visit healthcare.gov or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Thanks for tuning in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Whether you listen to folk music, rock, blues, country, or hip-hop, there is something for you to connect with at the Native American Music Awards. The ceremony was Monday, and we have some of the honorees with us today. Give a shout-out to one of our guests, or just tell us what kind of music you're into by calling 1-800-996-2848. Before we went to break, we were talking about the influence and the contributions of First Nations and other uh, Canadian Indigenous people with the Native American Music Awards. And we have one of those folks on the show now. Joining us from Las Vegas, Nevada is Jacob Faithful. He's the head singer of the powwow group Young Spirit. He's a member of the Frog Lake Cree First Nation. Welcome to Native America Calling, Jacob, and congratulations on your NAMI. Hey, good morning, Sean. Thank you so much for having me on your show there. Yeah, it's a pretty... Uh, Pretty uh, grateful um, to hear about the award. 
I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, in addition to this award, uh, Young Spirit was also recently nominated for a Juno Award. Congratulations as well. What's driving the group's growing success? You know what? It's just the uh, willingness to continue to make music and sing and the camaraderie around the drum and, you know, the guys wanting to continue to bring music, new music to the circle and just the passion for singing and um, being there and singing something that's such a traditional sound that, you know, represents our, our area of our, our country and uh, our nation. So it's just, uh, I don't know, it, it's, it's a passion. It's a definite passion. Earlier, uh, we, we had our guests and, and they were talking about contemporary music and, and getting people focused on that, but there is still, still a huge demand and interest in more traditional sounding Native American music, such as powwow drum group music and whatnot. And I want to ask you, Jacob, because there's so many different powwow drums out there and there are so many powwows all over the U.S. and Canada. And what do you have to do to, to really stand out amongst all those other drum groups and, and get noticed and recognition like you have? Well, I, you know, honestly, to get noticed and get recognition, um, that's entirely up to the people listening to the music. So, um, I, I think in, in, you know, groups individually, they, they all have their own unique sound. They all have their own unique composition of melodies and music. Um, Young Spirit has been, um, I guess, received very well by the communities and indigenous people abroad. So, um, I, I don't have control over that, and we don't have control over that. We just continually, you know, come up with new tunes, new music, and um, with an old traditional feel to it. So um, it's it's kind of hard to say what what what's you know what's been successful for us. We just continue to do what we do every year, and every every new song seems to get better and better. And we just continually sing from the heart and from the soul, and if people like it, then we're grateful. <laughs> well, let me ask you this. Do awards like this get you invited to a lot of powwows? Um, in the powwow circle, powwow pow, um, uh, country, I, I think it, it has to do with, you know, representation of your territory, and also if you're able to perform at the big celebrations and, and represent well. Um, both, you know, away from the Powell and at the Powell, um, there is a strong traditional component to celebrations like that. As far as awards, yeah, it, it, it's pretty, pretty neat to be, you know, people say, you know, Hey, I voted for you or Hey, I, I, I was really rooting for you, you know, and things, things along those lines. Um, I guess within the, the traditional setting, um, awards are, you know, obviously, acknowledged and whatnot, but I think the traditional component is still very alive and well in those circles. Well, Jacob, we have one of Young Spirit's most popular songs, Red Rock Woman. Let's take a listen.
That was the song Red Rock Woman from the powwow group Young Spirits. They won Best Powwow in Drum Songs Recording. And we have one of their group members, Jacob Faithful, here on the show today. He's with Young Spirit. And Jacob, I want to ask you, when did you record Red Rock Woman? It's got a 49 feel to it. (laughs) That song was uh, recorded in, I believe, in 2018. So... Um, our the album wasn't released until last year, um, or actually I think it might have been this year. So it's still very fresh to the, I guess to the round dance world. Um, but yeah, it was quite a while ago when we recorded that, and of course, pandemic just sort of slowed everything down. So it's it's a unique song. <laughs> Certainly is. Now, were you able to actually go up to Niagara Falls for the award ceremony, or were you down in Las Vegas the whole time? Uh, no, we we weren't able to. Um, we were out in Fort McDowell, um, Powell here in Arizona uh, this past weekend, and we're currently on tour. We've been on tour since um, early May, and um, and just continually riding that Powell you know, the Powell Circle there and um, Powell Trail. So our next stop is Indio, California. And then from there, we have to go to a round dance in Warm Springs, Oregon, and then back to Las Vegas for a show on December 6th. So <laughs> it's quite a long schedule, but it is what it is. It sounds like. Well, Jacob, congratulations again to you and Young Spirit and, and safe travels on the road out there as you travel throughout Native America and, and share your wonderful music. Joining us now is our next guest. His name is Tatanka Ohitika, and he is part of the duo The Buffalo Weavers. He is Sistan Wapton Dakota. Welcome to Native America Calling, Tatanka, and please feel free to further introduce yourself. I know you go by Strong Buffalo. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much, John. Yeah, you know, I'm a 76-year-old Dakota great-grandfather and kind of proud to win something at my age. Kind of the warding wearing out on my package, so expiration dates do, so I'm glad to win. And I'd like to thank the NAMAs for giving us an award and all those people that voted. I'm from Minnesota. 
Congratulations. You won uh, the award Best Duo with your songwriting partner, Ben Weaver. And please describe Buffalo Weaver sound to our listeners that might be unfamiliar with your music. Yeah, it's, you know, it says duo, but we really are interchangeable. We have about eight different musicians that join together. And, uh, you know, we're not prejudiced. We have everybody, but we're basically Minnesota-based. Uh, Dakota Sioux and uh, Ojibwe from uh, Fond du Lac and uh, the Grand Marais area. And uh, just talented musicians. We have uh, fiddle, violin, uh, saw, washboard. We have pedal steel guitar, harmonica, banjo, and guitar. And um, I'm, I play a mean sticks. But uh, yeah, we're just a you know, mix of uh, a lot of different musicians and uh, the two front men get the credit, but it's really all the other artists that really are talented that helped us. Well, tell us, how long have you and your uh, other members been working together? It's been about, about three years. We kind of started right before the pandemic. We kind of uh, we did a thing at uh, University of Minnesota Morris. It was a boarding school, and we started from there. We're basically poets and uh ben does most of the melodies and we interchange uh different uh, poems and songs of ours now have you been composing and performing music your whole life yeah quite a bit you know since the last century like in the 70s you know i'm related to floyd red westerman i'm from assistant wapton lake traverse reservation south dakota but I live here in Minnesota where I was born. But I traveled around. I did some stuff in Norway and uh, Japan. I was in a band down in New Orleans with uh, Monk Beaudreau of Mardi Gras Indians and formed out in California in the Bay Area with a Japanese band out there. Called, uh, you know. So it's, yeah, I've been doing uh, basically poetry and kind of teamed up with musicians on and off here. Well, Strong Buffalo, it sounds like you've uh, lived some really exciting years and uh, had a lot of really amazing adventures. You mentioned Floyd Red Crow Westerman, uh, another star from from the Dances with Wolves movie back more than 30 years ago. So great to, to know that you have that influence as well. And let's go ahead and listen to a song off of the Buffalo Weavers album, The Dark is Getting Bright. We have a track ready called Hidden Falls. Anything you want to say before we play it, though, Strong Buffalo? Yeah, it's just uh, it's a place here in uh, on the Mississippi. So, Okay, let's yeah. take a listen. The world has ended before. Four times it has died. By fire, floods, cold and dry. The fourth world was to have lasted forever, forevermore. But now, all four legs of the buffalo are gone. And we have gone way too far. We need to talk, talk about it all. 
and make the changes needed. The only thing different this time is that we're in this world now. The only thing different this time is that we're in this world now. So make your spirit stronger. Make your life last longer. Make us one and all. For directions change. And please, stand tall with Mother Earth, child. Please, stand tall with Mother Earth, child. That was the song Hidden Falls from... Native American Music Award winners, Buffalo Weavers, who won the Best Duo Group category. Strong Buffalo, is that you on the mic on that song? Yes, yes. Yeah, that's me, yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff. And uh, tell us more, um, what was the inspiration for Hidden Falls? Well, you know, we we do these, all throughout the pandemic, we've been doing these pop-up performances outside and getting people to come together. And so we were down Hidden Falls is right across from a place that it's called Fort Snelling. And in the Dakota way, it's like Bedote where uh, one of our creation places. And so I was sitting there looking at that where they had a concentration camp where they had hung 38 uh, Dakota Sioux in 1862. And so it was just sitting there doing a performance and looking at where my ancestors were at that uh, that poem came up. So I I wrote it right there. It was really windy and cold. And so that's where that came from. Mm. Well, thanks for sharing. And earlier with our other guests, we were talking about, uh, you, know, you know, the growth of contemporary Native American music. And Strong Buffalo, you were sharing earlier, I mean, you were out there touring and, and, and doing performances back as, as long ago as the 1970s. And how have you seen the contemporary Native music scene change throughout the decades? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my cousin was John Trudell, and, you know, he's about the only one who had broke the kind of thing, you know, Exit and Redbone. But, yeah, and, you know, now we got Joy Harjo and, I see poetry really becoming more and more important as the world's getting more desperate. And I think music's beginning to be a big part because it, it reaches the part of the soul and the spirit that needs help now. So it's, it's really growing. And I think, um, I remember I got done with the performance and a lady said, you know, what you guys are doing is like American Indian blues because, you know, our cultures are connected to the earth and, the natural world. So I think right now it's more important than ever. And I think people are paying attention to what we're doing and saying. We're speaking with Strong Buffalo, and uh, he's part of the group Buffalo Weavers, and they won a NAMI earlier this week up there in Niagara Falls for their music, contemporary Native music, with a, a twist of poetry to it. And folks, if you'd like to get in on this conversation, if you are a musician yourself or you're just a big music fan or you have something to add to our conversation today about 
the Native American Music Awards, contemporary Native music, or some of the more traditional Native music, please feel free. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll be right back. This Native American Heritage Month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. You're tuned in to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Native musicians and celebrating the winners at the Native American Music Awards earlier this week. We'd love to have you join the conversation. What's your favorite kind of music? Do you make it out to concerts or live shows? Why is it important to have music events that recognize and celebrate the contributions of Indigenous artists and entertainers? Please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We'll get your comments on the air. That's 1-800-99-NATIVE. We've got one more guest on the show today. Speaking with us from the Onondaga Reservation in New York is Rex Lyons. He's the founding member of the Ripcords and a member of the Onondaga Nation. Rex, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate it. You bet. Well, tell us, Rex, what was your take on the NAMIs the other night? Well, it was uh, it was fun, you know. Um, I always say that uh, natives are very resilient, and little weather wasn't going to uh, wasn't going to deter us because, as it's already been mentioned, you know, we've been on this in this. Everybody's been navigating this strange, uh, you know, environment with the with the pandemic, and you know, just just society at large. It's just a strange time, and and there's nothing like uh, music to heal the soul and bring people together. Absolutely. Were there any uh, new performers or uh, recently added acts that really stood out in your mind there at the at the event show? Well, you know what's interesting to me is that I, it's uh, very diverse. When you get into the the video aspect, animation, storytelling, you know, I think it's right. It just kind of lends itself to to any indigenous background because we're storytellers. You know, it's it's very inherent in any of our nations, any of our communities. We're we're good at telling stories. Uh, we have a lot of uh, passion and, and emotion, and, and it's, it, it comes through. And I was, it was really, really uh, fun to see uh, uh, Mickey Free there, you know, and, and his legacy, and you know, quite the uh, you know three degrees connection that he brings to the table. It was just a lot of fun, and to see the you know the contemporary rapping and all of the things that uh, you know with the. Uh, DJs and all of that kind of stuff. I just think it's very inclusive and, you know, very diverse. So, you know, I know I just thought it was a lot of fun. Are you an ex-paratrooper or something? Uh, no, I am not. Uh, well, what, what my, my father was in the 82nd Airborne. <laughs> okay. Your famous father, Orrin Lyons? Yes, yes. Yes, indeed. And he got the Living Legend Award that night. I was uh, fortunate enough to... That's the first award I've ever given him, and I've been, you know, traveled, had the good fortune to travel with him quite a bit, you know, as things uh, progressed, and he's kind of passing the torch to me, but he, as you know, he, he sets the bar pretty high. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll bet. So is is the name Ripcord, is it a, a tribute uh, to your father and his military service? Well, it was, you know, uh, uh, Irv, my cousin Irv is a lion. His, his father was my father's brother, and Irv was also in the military. We just thought... 
you know, in our when we were kind of just getting together, we were looking for a name and and, and fabulous rip chords, and we didn't want it because we knew there was a rip chords in in California that kind of had a hit, you know. So we had to change the spelling. We thought we put fabulous, so it would show up sooner on the on the um, on the internet, that kind of thing. But we thought rip chord would be good to kind of save your life, you know, always pulling the cord, <laughs> and that was our, our association to to the rip chords. <laughs> there, you go. there you go. Well, tell us more <laughs> about the group's founding. When did you guys get started? Uh, we've been over, uh, it's been over 20 years, which is really extraordinary when you think about with bound with, with bands staying together, because it's very difficult. You get very strong personalities coming together with very different ideas and perspectives. And to have that kind of longevity speaks volumes in my opinion, because I've been in bands that didn't last that long, but I grew up on the rest too. And we had a great band early on that was uh white boy in the wagon burners that made a huge splash locally. We even got some uh, national play. We played a show in amphitheater at all our colors, you know, and, and there were, everybody was there, John Trudell, you name it, uh, Robbie Romero. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, there was a host of, host of others, you know, uh, Bonnie Ray, Don Lee Henley, uh, Don Henley. And, uh, it's just, a, just an extraordinary experience for us. But, um, you know, I've always been involved in music from a young age. And I, a, lot, a lot of that is due to my mother's music collection. When I was a young, young boy, she had a great music collection. I mean, she was listening to Taj Mahal, you know, and I had the good fortune of hearing Jesse Ed Davis going, what is this? And, and I was hooked immediately. And that's, that's very young, too. I'm speaking, you know, as a, as a seven, eight-year-old, it, it really connected. I really connected with that. Jesse Ed Davis, the legend, the yeah. true, true legend. Right. So, so Rex, is, uh, is guitar your main interest, instrument as well? Yes, it is. Um, you know, I was always, uh, I started on the bass when I was probably 11 or so. That was my first love and, and went through and I kind of, uh, you know, uh, evolved into a guitar player, but I've always been interested in the arts. My father was a, you know, a fine artist where he was, you know, he did uh, oils and, you know, very, very extremely been on a high level. And I've always had that, you know, connection to the arts. So I was always, you know, when I was going to go to the university, it was going to be a, a music major, art minor kind of thing. I, I was, you know, I was trained well in, in being creative and using and being expressive. But uh, the guitar really spoke with me. Now I'm actually building guitars. Because I've always, um, you know, I've been in the trades. That was my my forte, you know, climbing buildings and doing those kinds of things. In my to pay the bills, but always dreaming of being a. a, a It'd be great to be a, a traveling musician that I could have actually paid a bill with. You know, it's always been one of my dreams. You know, but very difficult to do, as you know. What kind of guitars are are you building? Are these acoustics or electrics? They're electric. Uh, I, I, my first one I built, I built a, a Telecaster that I wanted to kind of have the personality of a, of a Les Paul. I like the look of a Telecaster, and I just said, I had a couple ideas in my head if I ever got the opportunity because I was good with hand tools. And I, I ran into this fella over in Sweden, long story short, and he was a master builder. And, and I, and I um, was playing a guitar in his living room, and I go, this is a great guitar. You know, it had no name on it. So I goes, he goes, yeah, I made it. And I was just blown away. He goes, do you want to go to my shop? He took me to his shop, and he had like seven other guitars that were in various stages of being built. He was building an arch top, which is like, you know, very advanced in building uh, any kind of acoustic because people don't know if you're building a violin they don't they don't warp that it's a it's a carved belly you know you know those things are not shaped and steamed like that you actually have to carve the inside of the belly out so anyway it's very advanced 
I had the opportunity to build a, a guitar. And four days later, I had a guitar in my head. But I had it in my head. I always had it in my head what I, what I would do if I ever got the opportunity. So having that experience, you know, it, it set things in motion now. And, and as things, um, I've really got my own little shop that I've, I dream of actually doing that. I always have the love of, of building things. I'll still be able to be creative and also, you know, play music with it. I think it's the best of both worlds, really. Well, you mentioned uh, your interest in the Fender Telecaster, and I believe Jesse Ed Davis played a telly, didn't he? Yes, he did. He did, and he always played everything. Like most guitar players will, will be very experimental, but you always have something that really uh, speaks to you, like an extension of your your voice, and every guitar player, I think, has that, you know, the, an affinity for a specific type, whatever that might be. But, you know, tellies have their own personality, strats. I love strats, and, and you know, I can find something positive about most any guitar, you know, but I do, I do, I do like, uh, I lean towards the Strat and the Tele sounds, you know. Well, Rex, here's a question I want to ask you because you're a professional musician, you tour a lot. And one thing that, that I've learned is you go and like, you'll go into a guitar store and you'll see these beautiful, you know, $1,500, $2,000 guitars, or you go online and you'll see these amazing brand new guitars. But whenever I actually go to like, go out to like clubs and stuff like that a lot of times the musicians they're playing like really cheap instruments like they don't spend it like like guys that really gig a lot they don't spend a ton of money on their gear do you spend a lot on the stuff you play with live well you know some of the stuff like if you have a something that's like a vintage thing that you don't want to take it out of the road because you're just afraid something might happen to it which it makes a lot of sense but there are things that really progressed now that you can get a really good guitar for not that much money because you know uh, you talk to anybody, and, and it's really like a lottery. You can pull something off the wall that will stand up to any custom shop guitar, you know. And it's just one of those things that when you build so many of them, you know, you get on a given day the builder is just feeling his oats or something, and he puts a little extra mojo, and it, it shows up. And you know, one of the things that I see happening now is that they're finding different wood to kind of resemble the vintage sound because what makes those vintage guitars so extraordinary is that they've dried out to such a degree that makes them so resonant that there's, it's just kind of, you know, has a whole voice onto itself. And I've, I've experienced that. I've played a $45,000 Strat. And someday I hope to have one if I ever <laughs> get so fortunate. But, you know, I do the next best thing. And I've had some builders, you know, like Simon Law from from, from England, you know, he's, he, he builds these 61 reserves. And it's, it's close you can get to without, you know, spending 45 grand, but it's still pretty pricey. But like it's taken me a long time to get there. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've I've played played a lot of, you know, starter guitars getting here, and, and as as time's gone on, I've been able to you know acquire, you know, quite an arsenal of guitars, and I, I just really cherish them. You know, because it's, I have such a passion for it. Well, let's bring Brett back into the conversation because Brett, you're a guitar player too, and I want to ask you: Do you believe in expensive guitars? <laughs> oh, that's a loaded question. And I, my <laughs> wife might be listening right now. So no, it's I Christmas don't. Christmas <laughs> time coming up too. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, yeah, well, what can I add to what Rex already said? Yeah. Guitars have different personalities, different tones. I've played, you know, really cheap ones that are excellent. And uh, I have a custom built six string fretless uh, from a guy down in, in um, Pittsburgh, you know, a little pricey, but it's a, a one of a kind as well, you know? So, uh, I don't know. Um, I don't exclusively think they have to be expensive or anything like that, but, you know, sometimes uh, it's good to be able to have an arsenal to pick from too, right? 
And as a collector, I mean, some of those guitars are, are worth a lot of money just from an investing standpoint. And well, Rex, in addition to your music, in addition to playing and, and building guitars, uh, like your your famous dad, you were also a star lacrosse player. And I want to ask you, Rex, do you still get out on the on the field now and then? I really wish I could, but you know, the next best thing, I'm, I'm heavily involved in the Haudenosaunee Nationals. I'm actually a board member, and so you know, potentially we'll be going to the Olympics in 2028. Uh, we should know by uh, January whether or not it's going to be an Olympic sport, which is remarkable considering it's our game, you know, and it's our gift to the world. I, I can't even tell you how mind blowing that is, especially since I was on the first Iroquois Nationals team and seeing the whole evolution from our humble beginnings to where it is now. And you got guys like the uh, the Thompson brothers who have, uh, have really, you know, been outstanding in, in just uh, mentorship and, and inspirations to our young people because they've made some serious, you know, um, life choices that made it possible to, for their success. And I think that's what's so important to emphasize that, you know, we have so much talent in our communities, but we tend to get, you know, uh, tripped up, you know, in all of the pitfalls that are out there. If you don't have, you know, solid, uh, um, parenting or solid home life, any of those things that you need where, where that a lot of us don't have, you know, that these guys had really great, strong parenting and it, and it showed up, you know, to the, they made some really uh, hard, uh, tough decisions, you know, socially that, that allowed them to be the success that they are. And I see a lot of young, young players now with the ponytail braid and all these things that bring them back in their, their traditional strength and, and, and how they have emphasized how important their culture and identity is. It, it just, it just goes on and on. And, and to be living in, you know, and successfully in a contemporary world and keeping your keeping grounded in who you are is very challenging, you know, and and these guys are, are great examples for that. I, I'm just, you know, really happy to be now giving back because when I was a player, you know, when you're a player, you just have all of the excitement and fun of being the athlete. And that's about as far as you think. You don't see all the work that goes on with the unsung heroes who are raising the money, who are taking care of the politics or, or you know, taking care of all of it's just a huge, you know, minutia of, of moving parts that have to have to, you know, be taken care of for, for the athletes to get on the field. And now I understand mm -hmm. that and I'm able to give back. So it's really been extraordinary. And, you know, I, I really have this, this image in my head of us lighting the torch at, in, in LA. Mark my words. I could be a little, you know, a little delusional, but I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rex, is there overlap between your love for lacrosse and sports and your music? Absolutely. I think uh, anything that that you have passion for, you know, and feed your spirit, which it does. You know, I grew up on Nation. I played the medicine game. I have the instruction. I have the background, the traditional upbringing. And if it wasn't for lacrosse, that helped me, you know, because I was making some unhealthy choices. You know, I'm going to be truthful about things. When I was a younger, uh, younger man going through college, I was really getting, you know, myself into, into some unhealthy situations. And if it wasn't for the counterbalance of lacrosse, I think things might have, could have, uh, you know, taken a turn for the worse. But since I had that foundation, it really helped me get through some, some trying times, you know. And I think that's something that music also did, you know, that it really feeds that part of your soul that nothing external can do, you know. Mm -hmm. Well, Rex, another exciting development in your music career is last year you recorded a, a live album. Tell us about that. 
That was interesting, you know, because uh, everything shut down. I mean, we, we were actually, you know, earmarked to go on, on a mid-level tour. We were going to go into the, the, you know, the bigger markets, and we were starting to get out there, and we kind of had it all figured out so that we didn't have to, you know, jump off the cliff entirely and, and just throw caution to the wind because, you know, you have a million different things when you have five guys in a band that we're trying to, you know, we got home life, got family, and all those things. So when the pandemic hit, we were kind of sitting there going, looking at each other, now what? Because we, you know, you don't know what to do. So we went on this thing. We, you know, one of our studios in town says, well, we, we think, we, what do you guys think about doing a, a show on Twitch? And it was really bizarre, but that's what artists were doing and people were doing to kind of stay connected and, and have some sort of a live event. So we did it. And, um, it was very, uh, it was a strange animal because, you know, you're playing into these cameras and you're trying to capture a live performance and then it's just complete silence after every, every song. So <laughs> we, we started to have to do our own banter and it was kind of fun in a way because we had to be our own entertainment and keep ourselves kind of occupied. It was really interesting what happened. And, uh, uh, you know, when the cameras are rolling, you know, it could be a train wreck, you know, if things just don't go well, you have bad nights and all night, but that, that night I, the stars were aligned and, you know, we, we really uh, right. got a nice uh, performance, you know? So, I mean, that, we said, we got to do something with this. This came out really well. And that's what you're always striving for in the studio is to catch a live performance. Well, I'm so glad that that was a successful project for you, Rex. And I want to thank all of our guests today, Brett, Edward, Strong Buffalo, Jacob, and Rex, uh, sharing these stories and their music on our show today. We're back tomorrow to talk with singer-songwriter, artist, and activist Buffy St. Marie. There's a new documentary chronicling her talent and artistry on PBS. We'll talk with her tomorrow on Native America Calling. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day, on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin a six-month advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online masterclass looks through the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach to provide powerful, proven modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 24, 2023. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.